So there was once a, there was once a town that was high in the Alps, and it straddled the banks of this beautiful stream. And the stream was fed by these deep springs that were high up in the mountains. And the water in that stream, it was crystal clear. Children laughed and played in it. There were swans and geese that often uh, swam in it. It was so clear, you could see the rocks and the sand and the rainbow trout uh, swimming around at the bottom. And high in the hills, above that town, far beyond anyone's, anyone's sight, there lived an old man whose job was to be the keeper of the springs. He had been hired so long ago that no one in the town actually remembered when he started, uh, but he had one really important job. What he would do was he would travel from one spring to another and up in the hills, he'd remove branches and fallen debris and things, all the things that might pollute the river. His work was important but it mostly went unseen. So one year, the town decided that they had better things to do with their money. No one supervised the old man anyway, and you know, they had roads to repair and taxes to collect, services to offer. And so giving away money to an unseen uh, spring cleaner just was a luxury they felt like they could no longer afford. So they cut his position. And for a time, no one in the village noticed. But after a while, the water and that stream was no longer the same. It began to look brackish. The swans that would go there just flew off and went elsewhere. The water no longer had the crisp scent that drew children to play by it, and some people in the town even began to grow ill. Eventually, all noticed the loss of the sparkling beauty of that stream. That stream that used to, that would flowed right through the center and the, the town was built on both sides of it. Because the life of that village depended on the stream. And the life of that stream depended on the keeper. So the city council reconvened, the money was found, the old man was rehired, and life came back to that stream. Eventually, the, il- the people, the illnesses were gone, the swans came back, And the village as a whole felt like it came back to life. So this story was, I've I've heard it told in several different places, but most recently I read it in a book by John Ortberg called Soul Keeping. And so after this story, this is what he adds. He says, the life of the village, the life of the village depended on the health of the stream. That stream is your soul and you are the keeper. Taking care of your soul is not a luxury. Taking care of your soul is a necessity. But the work required to cultivate a deep inner life will largely go unseen until it doesn't. When your soul goes unattended, you are not the same. And the health of your soul, the health of your inner life, it will eventually spill out into all areas of your life because your soul is vital. And when you read through the Gospels, Jesus himself, he talked about the soul a lot. He would say things like, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world but lose his soul? Or he'd say, what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Now, when I say soul, don't think of, you know, some disembodied self like you'd see in the old cartoons with you know, Wile E. Coyote and the Roadrunner and you know, something would drop and you'd see the soul float up. Like, don't, don't, don't think that. That wasn't originally from the Bible. <laughs> your soul is 
It is the deepest part of you. It is your integrated self. Our soul is what is going to separate us from the most advanced artificial intelligence that comes out. In the Genesis 2 story, so when God created Adam, it says he formed him from the dust and breathed into him the breath of life. And Adam became a living being. And that word in Hebrew is nephesh, which is what we talk about as the soul. The soul is that life that was breathed into us by God. And when I read about how Jesus talked about the soul, it seems like he talks about it in different categories than we often do with the church. So if you've grown up in the church a lot, really the only categories for soul you might hear are like lost and saved. Those are the only two categories of soul. And while I think those are very real categories that Jesus talks about, he also talks about other things, about the soul being weary or rested, about the soul being tired or, f- or filled, about the soul being sick or the soul being healthy. And this is because Jesus has a much bigger plan for you than you just getting saved. What Jesus has on offer is this idea he talked about over and over about, of abundant life. A life that is refreshing, a life that fills you with joy because you are connected to Jesus, who is the author of all of those things. Uh, C.S. Lewis, he put it this way. He said, you don't have a soul, you are a soul, you have a body. And that really uh, rings true with me. Um, Listen to, this is one of my favorite sayings of Jesus. And this is going to, as we go through into a four-week series on rest, this is going to anchor a lot of it. This is Jesus in Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30. He says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So I want everyone to, uh, to try something with me right now, which means that at least 25% of you, just on principle, won't do it. <laughs> if I had said, hey, open your hands, I want to give you a $100 bill, some of you guys are like, nope, if you tell me to do it, I am not doing it, buddy. So for the other 75% of you that are, that are down for this, let's do this together. Just take a deep, slow breath. Take one more. How are you doing? Now, if we were in the lobby and I asked you that question and you had a coffee in your hand, I know I'd get this, yeah, doing pretty good, you know, things are kind of busy, but overall, yeah, yeah, things are going good. But if we were sitting down and had some time, and I added one more word to that question. This is one that I found to be a really liberating word when you're meeting with people. I'm ask you this. How are you doing really? I found that that added word just gives people permission to talk about how they are really doing. How are things with your soul? And I'm gonna, this, this might help you process. I'm going to put a slide up, and it's going to have a bunch of different words on it bunch of different categories, how you might be feeling, and I'm going to give a, it's going to feel like eternity, but it'll probably only be like 30 seconds, to look at it and just pick out the two or three words you feel like most describe how you're doing right now. So we'll put that up. 
I would be willing to bet that most of you, if you're completely honest, would have described how you're currently feeling. Maybe not every word was this, but at least a couple of them were words like anxious, tired, busy, distracted, stressed, spent, weary, overwhelmed. Unfortunately for many of us, that's our baseline. That's our baseline for how we operate. I'm going to give you another 30 seconds or so. Look at that list and identify the two or three words that you wish described you. Identify the two or three words that are just like, oh man, if that was how I felt, wow. Look at that list again. I would take a guess at the words you're most drawn to, words like peaceful, rested, satisfied, energized, joyful, patient. What do you think is currently causing the gap between how you feel and how you wish you felt? What do you think is causing that gap? It might be really easy for, for, to chalk it up to just circumstances by saying, well, I know I'm feeling like this, but it's just a season. Or I've got a lot going on and this will change. Or there's this thing going on at work. Or if only this changed. And maybe some of that does play into it. But here's a question. What if it's not a season? What if the way you're feeling is a direct result of your current pace of life and isn't going to change because you have no idea how to stop? What if the way you're currently feeling is a direct result of your pace of life and is not going to magically change on its own because you just have no idea how to stop? In Matthew 11, 28 through 30, I see that we both have an invitation and a promise from Jesus. The invitation is, Come to me, and the promise is, and I will give you rest. There is an inescapable link, really, between your ability or inability to rest and the health of your soul. There is a direct link between, again, your ability or inability to rest and your inability or ability to connect with God on a deeper level. You, you, me, everyone, we have a built-in need for rest, that is offered to us as a gift from God. So on Friday, on Friday, I got, I got a new iPhone. Pretty cool, I know. Uh, but the problem is, I didn't want to get a new iPhone. I was forced into getting a new iPhone because of something stupid I did on Thursday. Uh, so this is my old iPhone that worked perfectly well until Thursday night, and... Anyone keep their phone in their pocket and it kind of builds up with pocket lint? 
So that happens to me. And so every two or three months, I need to clean it out. And apparently, you're supposed to be careful with how you clean it out. And uh, this is not the recommended tool <laughs> for cleaning out your phone. Um, Shocking, I know, but it was late and my phone wouldn't charge, so I was just there digging away. The good news is I got the lint out. The bad news is I broke the charging pin. Uh, So even though this is honestly a perfectly functioning, paid-off iPhone, it's missing this one really tiny, small piece of metal called a charging pin that they don't replace. (laughs) So I had to get a brand new phone. I couldn't even turn it in because I can't turn it on. If I had just gone into the store like an hour before I went in, I would have got a trade-in for it, but now I just have this useless paperweight um, because of how smart I was. And as I was sitting in the store thinking about how much money that stupid little decision cost me, I thought, well, at least I have a sermon illustration. (laughs) And maybe I can turn this in as a ministry expense. I don't know. I don't think so. <laughs> uh, but this, I felt like this, what a great illustration. In a sense, when I don't rest, when I push too hard, when I don't recharge, I become like this. Like, again, this is, for all intents and purposes, a perfectly good phone, 128 gigabytes, but it's rendered completely useless because it lost its ability to charge. So it doesn't matter. This could be the best phone in the world but it was designed to recharge. And we are like that. God has designed you to recharge. You are not a machine. Even if you were a machine, you're still designed to recharge. You're a human being. And I know that when I don't take that time to both rest and recharge with God, I I become pretty useless. I become grumpy. I become irritable. And if you do that for long enough, and you get in that pattern over and over, I think you become hardened, and it's almost like your charging pin breaks, and you feel like you even completely lose the ability to recharge and rest. We've we've pointed this out a few times going through Luke's gospel, that what's interesting is no matter how busy Jesus got, he took regular times for rest and prayer and silence and solitude. Perfect Jesus, who could do miracles, who never sinned, had the best relationship with God ever, took regular time for rest, for prayer, for silence, and for solitude. And if Jesus did that, I think we also need to learn how to do that as well. Because when we push too hard, maybe you haven't said this, but you've heard before, ever heard someone say, I just feel like I'm dead inside. I just feel like I'm dead inside. It's because you're a soul. You're not not a machine. And you were designed to connect with God. So I've become convinced. I'm not great at it. I wish I was further down the road in this. I have become convinced that the most important thing that we could learn how to do as followers of Jesus in this day and age the most important thing for the health of our soul is to learn the art of rest and Sabbath. I am more and more fully convinced of this. And that's my goal in the next four weeks is to convince you as well. But I don't just want to convince you. 
I want to help you do it. I want to give you some steps so this isn't just something we talk about. Uh, because in the Old and New Testament, followers of God, they, they knew that something had to, you, you had to do more than just change your mind about something. You had to have practices to put it into place. Um, it's, practices or disciplines rehearse the truths that we know and make them real in our life. Um, you know, we've all had this experience. You hear a message, you hear some truth, whether it's from church or somewhere, and you walk out of there like fully convinced you need to do it. But then you don't have any things, any habits or practices set up in your life. And so even though you're convinced in your mind, nothing really changes, and it's pretty much as good as if you don't know it. Uh, and so our practices are what help make real some of these things that we believe. Mark Buchanan, it's a book I've been reading called The Rest of God, he put it this way. Practices make real our change of mind. Practices make real our change of mind. And here at Elm City, we talk a lot about our goal is to be people who practice the way of Jesus together. And that means part of that is that we want to help all of us as a community embed certain practices, certain habits into our life so that what we talk about flows out and becomes real. So our five practices are, with the acronym REACH, but it's REST, which we're going to spend some time talking about now, eat and engage, acts of love, confession, and home. So as we're going through Luke's gospel, we're going to stop periodically and spend three, four, five weeks on each one of these so there's enough time not just to teach about it, but that we can start to practice it together because these practices will make real our change of mind. Because listen, guys, we need this. We need this series on Sabbath and rest because we need Sabbath and rest. Because too many of us are overcommitted, burnt out, spiritually numb, discouraged, constantly busy. And I feel like this busyness, I know this busyness is doing damage to our souls. Again, you are a human being, not a machine. You're an embodied soul. And because of that, we all have an inescapable need for rest. So if you find yourself this morning tired, stressed, anxious, numb, then I have some good news some real gospel in the true sense of the word for you. Jesus' invitation is, come to me and you will find rest for your souls. So let's look at this origin of Sabbath, this origin of rest that was built into the fabric of creation. So in Genesis 2, 1 through 3, hear the repetition here. There wasn't, this, this was the way ancient writers made a point. It says, thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the hosts of them and on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested from all the work that he had done in creation. I think the author's trying to make a point here, the way those sentences were, were put together. The first being we see in the Bible resting is God. Isn't that amazing? All perfect, never gets tired, God rested. Six days, then rested. He said, I'm going to set this day apart as holy, which means it's qualitatively different than the rest. I'm going to set one day apart for you to rest. I'm going to do it. I want you to do it as well. So I keep using, I'm going to use the word Sabbath a lot. 
and start to unpack it. But at its most basic definition, Sabbath just means to stop. To Sabbath means to, at its most basic, is just to stop working. So in Exodus 20, where there's the, there's the list of the Ten Commandments, this shows up again, this idea of, uh, of Sabbath and rest. And it's amazing how much treatment it gets compared to some of the other ones. You know, thou shalt not murder, pretty important. Just gets one little line. Thou shalt not commit adultery, one short line. Thou shalt not steal, really short. But when it comes to Sabbath, it gets a lot more. Listen, it says, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day it's a Sabbath to the Lord, your God. On it you shall do no work, or you or your son or your daughter, or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the visitor that's within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, because of that, the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy." Now, if you're like me, the tradition I grew up in didn't talk about Sabbath much. The only reason why Sabbath was ever brought up is that you're in the New Testament and you're seeing Jesus railing against the Pharisees with their legalism of the Sabbath. And so I just always kind of, you know, eh, that's an Old Testament thing, that's in the law, we're free from that, we don't have to, we don't have to uh, abide by that. And um, yeah, part of that is true. We are not under the Old Testament law anymore. But in looking at it, there are two big things that jumped out at me. One... God gave this to humanity way before the law, way before Israel was a nation, and just built it into creation, built it into the fabric of how time works. And secondly, I began to under, as I unpacked it, I began to really blown away that this might be one of the, outside of salvation, this might be one of the best gifts that he has given to us and the most refreshing things. Because when you get into what the Bible means when it talks about Sabbath, it's way more than just a day off. It's way more than just taking a day to not work. The Sabbath is to set aside one day out of seven for feasting and resting and worship and play. Think about that. How awesome does that sound? If you were able to build into the rhythm of your life one 24-hour chunk a week dedicated to feasting and resting and worship and play. That sounds pretty refreshing. Again, Sabbath is not just a day off. It's not just a, you know, I'm going to sit at home and catch up on chores and be on my phone and binge watch Netflix and watch a whole series. We've all done that and been more exhausted when we're done. That is not Sabbath. So Jesus, he used a term when he said, I will give you rest. Rest, Sabbath are very lined up. So the word for rest, it's this idea of a respite. It's this idea of a break from something really difficult. Um, do we have any runners in here? One, two. Do we have any former runners? Yeah, trying to get back into running? Oh, yeah, don't get me started. Uh, but I know whenever I try to get back into running, what's always helpful is I use an interval app because I know that when you're using an interval app, it has built-in breaks. And so I'm so much more motivated to go because you're running, you're running, <sighs> oh, but then you get a little break. And you can kind of walk, and you run again, and you have a break. And what I find is that helps me get into it way faster. But I actually work out way better because I know that there's a break coming. I can run harder during the time you're supposed to run because I know rest is coming. And for people that regularly practice the Sabbath and have gotten deeper into this, they say that's their experience of the week. 
Like when I know that I have a full day to stop, say no, I actually get way more done the other six days. I'm much more productive. I'm much more there because I have a built-in stop. They're actually able to keep up a faster pace of life. So again, this might be sounding foreign to you. You might be thinking, I've heard of rest. I have never heard of this before. Think about it this way. Sabbath is an invitation to health. It's not a law. You're not necessarily, you might be, you're not necessarily sinning by not doing it, but it is an invitation. It's an invitation to health. And I think it's what many of us most need in our hurried, busy life. Again, my goal straight up front is I want to convince you all of just your need to start to experience Sabbath rest. And I would guarantee there's a few of you or maybe all of you who are saying, okay, that sounds great, but there's no way. No way I can do it, not with my job, not with my family, not with my current pace of life. You know, it's not even realistic. And I'll grant you, this is, this is not easy. There's nothing about the way our culture is set up that is going to like, help make this easy. And we're gonna talk more about why that is, why that is next week. You know, for me, you know, personally, I said I'm in the very beginning of what this means, looks into. Uh, I kind of, you know, it's hard because the thing, I'm in a stage where the thing that tires me out the most is parenting. But luckily, though, when I tell my kids, I'm like, Nora and Albert, today's Sabbath. They're two and five. And they look up at me with big eyes and go, yes, Father, I understand. I'm going to sleep in. We're not going to fight with each other. We're going to be good at dinner time because it is Sabbath. Yeah, I'm pretty sure no one in here believes me that that's actually the case. <laughs> yeah, they're not yet on board with, 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 with Sabbath. It's kind of like you've seen that NyQuil commercial where the mom or dad comes in, the kid's in the crib, and they're like, sorry, man, I'm not feeling good today. I'm just going to, I'm calling in sick. Like, you got this. <laughs> yeah. There are things about our lives that definitely make Sabbath really hard. This is where I feel like I'm in the Sabbath journey. I feel like I was going on a walk and I'm on a trail and I see this, this thing of like brush and overhanging stuff and I kind of pull it aside. I'm like, wow, there's a trail there I never knew about. And I kind of hack away the entrance to the trail and take two steps. Like that's where I feel like I'm at with, with learning what it means to Sabbath. Um, but I'm so convinced that this is what we need because our pace of life is honestly <laughs> killing a lot, of our, a lot of our souls. And as unrealistic as it sounds, because you're all gonna have your list when you walk out here, like, sounds great, I can't do it because of this, 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 this. Spend a whole day to rest, feast, worship, play, that sounds like a luxury. My question to you is this. Go back to that list we started with. How is your current pace working out for you? Just go, I mean, I, I, like, you can convince yourself of this. How is the, there's a saying that says, every system is perfectly designed to get the results it gets. Your life is kind of perfectly set up to achieve those results. And as unrealistic as it might sound to kind of do this, have you ever wondered that there might be a direct connection between I can't stop and I'm not doing well? Maybe those two things are very related. And again, I don't want to make you feel guilty. Well, maybe a little. <laughs> but I don't want to, the guilt is a terrible motivator. Uh, but Sabbath is the way we fight back. 
Sabbath is the way we fight back against the 24-7 living that we're trying to be pushed into. We're all busy. It's not like we can just stop. What I'm advocating is just be busy for six days. Only be busy for six days, not seven. Because you can't be busy for seven days continually and survive well. It's going to affect your spiritual life. It's going to affect your marriage. It's going to affect your mental health. Like, I was actually, part of me was hoping that it wasn't going to be so easy to replace this. I made it like 45 minutes between when it died and when I was at the Verizon store. Uh, you shouldn't be on this 24-7 all the time. Like, you can't, you can't check out. We are not designed to be constantly on, on the go. Sabbath gives you permission to just stop for a whole day. Uh, and, and because we all have a never-ending amount of work. Like, there's, there's, never, there's never a time when you're done. You know, I, I was someone, someone I know who works with people who are high achievers and helps them get a little bit better. He says, everybody I work with, it does not matter how more effective I make them, has 300 hours of, un, of undone work ahead of them at all times. So it does not matter. At home, there's always another project to do. There's always more laundry. There's always more dishes. There's always another thing to do. Like, you're never gonna get to the point where you get it all done so you can rest. Sabbath is not stopping because you've earned it. Sabbath is stopping because that's how God built it in. And it might be the most life-giving thing you can do for your soul. Again, I'll warn you, this is not easy. Like, I try to take Mondays as my Sabbath because Saturdays, I, we all have our, un, like, our unpaid work we need to do. Like, you have your job, then you have all the other stuff you have to do that, that you just everyone has to do. Sundays is a, is a full day. So Mondays is, is the day I try to take, uh, take as a Sabbath. But you know what happens? The minute I try to shut down, as anyone experiences, the minute you try to shut down, it's Sabbath. My brain is not on board. It's this pops in, I gotta do this. I gotta do this. Oh, I gotta make sure on, on Tuesday at staff meeting, I talk to Justin about this. Oh, I gotta do this. And it just, shutting down can be really hard. You, you, you gotta learn how to do it. The one thing I've figured out that helps a little bit is I just keep a running list. And so if something pops into my head, I just write it down. I just kinda, I gotta do this, not today. Gotta do this, not today, not today. Um, but the problem is, research shows, tells us that thinking about work is as mentally tiring as doing work. It, so again, this is, this, is, this is something we need to learn. So again, here's the simple application. The simple thing to walk out with, so what do we do with all this? It's this. Try to take this week a 24-hour chunk of time to rest, play, feast, and worship. You're going to have to plan for it because I doubt you have this built into your schedule, most of you. You might have to rearrange a few things. For most Christians, Sunday works well. Sunday's traditionally been a day uh, where there's not as much going on. And for all the rules the Pharisees kind of had for the Sabbath, the, the, it doesn't seem like Jesus and God had a ton. They were pretty much don't work. So here are a couple of helpful rules to think through what makes something a Sabbath. And the first is this. Kind of don't do anything useful. <laughs> don't do anything that's on your to-do list. Don't do anything you feel like you have to do. You know, don't spend the day catching up on housework or getting ahead on emails or getting grocery shopping done or paying your bills. 
Don't even diet, feast. Give yourself just the freedom to stop for a whole day. So here's a suggestion that might make it feel more realistic. Try dinner Saturday to dinner Sunday. There's a 24-hour chunk of time. If you do it like that, that means you have Saturday during the day to kind of get all your unpaid stuff done, all the stuff that you know you can't ignore, but then, but then you have that stopping point at, at, at Saturday night at dinner to Sunday night dinner, and then that gives you some time after dinner to kind of get the stuff ready you need to do for the rest of the week. But in between is this protected time. You can kind of put some boundaries around where you just say, I'm done. No more. It's time to feast and worship and play and rest. Have a meal with friends or your family. Come worship with us. Go for a walk. Take a nap. If running's energizing for you, do it. If it's not, don't. (laughs) Do some stuff that brings you life. You are given permission not, and don't feel like you have to earn it. uh, I was reading somewhere and they said Sabbath was the first picture of the gospel. Because people were given this day not because they earned it, because it was a gift. Just like our salvation, we're not given to it to us because we've earned it. It's a gift. And this is, this might be the, one of the greatest gifts that God gives us, this permission to stop. We all have this inescapable need for rest. And true rest is found in Jesus, who brings us rest and life to our souls. We are free to stop and not accomplish anything because Jesus has already accomplished what we need for us. And if this is how God set up the universe, you are not gonna get a badge or a medal for being a workaholic for Jesus. You're just not. The life of the village, it depended on the health of the stream. That stream is your soul and you are the keeper. Let's learn to lean into this rhythm of rest and Sabbath together and experience what Jesus was talking about when he said, I will give you rest.